0: Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. We were in staff meeting last Monday and we were going over our prayer list and we said maybe... Maybe, maybe we are under some sort of spiritual attack in our church uh, that's resulting in physical ailments. Uh, we, we went through our lists. We had uh, someone in our church, a servant leader in our church, battling depression with suicidal thoughts. We've had several people in the hospital. Um, we've had several people with surgeries. We've had several people with sickness, with the flu. They just were unable to serve. I'm getting ready to have surgery. And we said, maybe we are under attack. And we prayed. We prayed that God would protect our church. And I, and I would encourage you and ask you to pray for our church too. But we have in Scripture, in chapter 8 of Acts, what the first century church, the first church did when it fell under physical attack. In chapter 8, it describes exactly what the church is supposed to do if it is ever under an attack. Because that church was under attack. Christians were being hauled off to jail. Christians were being put to death. And it tells us, you know, we worship the same God the church worshiped in the first century. So maybe we should follow some of the healthy patterns that church revealed to us. And is written down in scripture to instruct us. So if you would, if you wouldn't mind, I'll pray to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to understand and see. And then maybe even Copy the healthy practices of the first church that we're going to read about in chapter eight of Acts. Let's pray, God. I, I do ask for your protection over our congregation, and I even lift myself up to you in prayer and ask that you would bring about a healing in me, whether it's through a miraculous means or through surgery. But we recognize you as the same God, the same God that we read about in Scripture that that brought healing, that brought change. And the same God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, who promises us a resurrection from the dead. Lord, we trust you. We don't know how you're going to protect us, and we don't know how you're going to move in powerful ways in our congregation. But we trust you, and we have seen you do powerful things already. And we ask, since you are the same God, that you would put your favor on us once again as we lift up the name of Jesus Christ. God, would you allow the Holy Spirit today, this morning, to teach us from Scripture what we need to see and and allow us to become the people you are calling us to be. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Acts chapter 8, the church is under attack. You know, Acts chapter 8 follows chapter 7. Chapter 7, there is the first martyr in the church, Stephen. Um, they took Stephen out. They, they disliked him so much. They disliked what he was saying so much because he said, he, he told them the good news of Jesus, and they hated that so much that they closed their ears, they gnashed their teeth, and they stoned him to death. When they stoned him to death, the scripture tells us that um, as they were throwing rocks and killing him with stones, that they took their coats off so they could get, you know, get a good wind up. They put their coats at this leader named Saul, and Saul approved the killing of Stephen. And then Saul went about to homes where he would go into homes, he would find the Christians, he would drag them out to prison, and he wanted them put to death too. And so the church had this attack on it, and everybody scattered. And that's where we pick up the story of the first century church in chapter 8, verse 4. And if you'll allow me, I would like to read verses 4 through 24, and then we'll break it down on some patterns that we need to follow. Since we worship the same God, since we are following the healthy patterns of the first church, Some patterns from chapter 8 we need to follow as well. Here's what um, Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 24 say. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds, with one accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them, They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion of this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said pray to the Lord for me yourself so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many, to many villages of the Samaritans. So we see the church under attack, and what do they do first? They come under attack. Paul is taking them out of homes. He's putting them in prison. He's even, they're even killing some. And what do we see the church do? We see the church spread the gospel. The purpose of our church doesn't change even if we come under attack. We are to go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Our purpose doesn't change if we get sick. Our purpose doesn't change. If some of our servant leaders don't, can't serve, then we have several other people in our church step up and serve in their place. The purpose of the church continues. The first century church came under attack and they spread the gospel. Chapter 8, verse 4 says, Therefore, those who have been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. What was, the, what was proclaiming Christ? What do you think that looked like for Philip? I'm sure he said he would say something like this Jesus Christ was sent by God to come and live on earth as a human just like us but and he was tempted in every way we are but he did not sin and because he didn't sin he could die as a sacrifice for your sin because he's God in the flesh he can die for all man's sin and he can cover over he literally can cover over your sin and where God will declare you not guilty he can cure your sin sickness and heal, heal your sin sickness and pay the sin debt that you owe. I wonder if he said something like this. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and on the third day rose from the dead. And he is still alive, and he asks you, trust in him and follow him. I wonder if that was part of the good news that Philip preached. You know, Philip here, as he is proclaiming Jesus Christ to the people of Samaria, he's fulfilling God's desires. In chapter 1 of Acts, verse 8, when Jesus was with his disciples, he said, you are going to receive power from the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And after you receive power, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria. Philip is fulfilling this call from Jesus to spread the gospel, be a witness for what Jesus has done. You know, God's plan has always been that all people of all nations would be in his kingdom. Way, way back in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, when God is separating out a family um, and telling us about that family, he says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, in you, Abraham, in you, Abraham, From all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's plan, even from the beginning, was to bless all families, all nations. In Isaiah chapter 42, God speaks to his servant. He's talking to Jesus Christ. Here he says, I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. Jesus Christ came to earth, but he is the Messiah, the Savior, the rescuer for everyone who would believe. And it's not supposed to just be a small group. It's supposed to be to anyone and everyone. And the first church, well, the first church was made up of Jewish believers who followed Jesus. And in that day and age, they, the Jewish believers did not like anybody from Samaria. They called called the Samaritans half-breeds. Like, that's pretty insulting, right? Samaria was located in such a way that Jewish people, if they had to travel, when they came to Samaria, they would go all the way around to get to where they're going just so they wouldn't have to walk on that dirty land where the Samaritans lived. Way back in the history of the Jewish nation, they had a little bit of a civil war and split Two tribes went south, the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah, and they stayed in Jerusalem. Ten tribes went north, and they called themselves Israel. Well, God was uh, warning both Israel and Judah, these two split nations of the nation of Israel. He warned them over and over again, stop worshiping idols. Don't worship idols. Don't worship idols. Don't worship idols. Don't be sexually immoral. Don't be sexually immoral. He warned them over and over and over again. And finally, Finally, God brought judgment on the nation of Israel. And the Assyrians came in. This happened at seven, around 720 B.C. The nation of Assyria came, Assyria came in and destroyed the northern kingdom called Israel. And Assyria had this neat way of doing it. When they would capture places, they would take the people they captured and they would transplant some of them all over different nations, And they would bring transplants from those different nations into the new city they had captured. Assyrians, this is pretty wise of the Assyrians. If you don't belong to a land, you're less likely to revolt. If you lose all of your community and you lose what you love, you're less likely to revolt. And the people they moved into northern Israel married some of the Israelites that were left there. And so the people in the south, where Judah was, they said, oh no, those Jewish people are no longer pure they're half-breeds. They're mixed with other races. Samarians didn't help themselves either. They, they developed their own scripture and their own places of worship that God did not like. They even had uh, what was called the S- Samaritan Targum. If you hear that term, it's the Samaritan scriptures. and they, they believed that one day their God, God, the same God that we worship, would one day send a prophet to Like Moses, back to rescue them. And so the Jewish believers were not going to obey God's command, Jesus' command, to go to Samaria. But under attack and on the run, they did accomplish God's purpose. And here Philip is telling them the good news of Jesus, and they're spreading the gospel. You know, our purpose as a church is to take the gospel, spread the gospel to as many people as we can. And it needs to kind of be on our, on our mouth, on our tongue, ready to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Ready to use that in conversation. Ready to bring people who are far from God, close to God. We need to spread the gospel. Uh, number two from this passage of chapter 8, we need to trust the gospel. We need to trust the good news of Jesus Christ we need to trust that when we tell the good news of Jesus Christ, it is better news than anything the world has to offer. We need to trust that God's word is so good and the Holy Spirit is going to empower it so much that it will, it will take over any type of idea or worldly uh, way of living in, in such a way that it will change people from the inside out. And that's what we see in chapter 8. Verse 9 says this, There was a man named Simon, Who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because for a long time he astonished them with his magic arts. Now, the scripture doesn't clarify really whether Simon is using magical arts from the occult or he's an illusionist like we might see on stage today doing magic tricks. In the scripture, there, there t- comes a time where people tap into spiritual powers that God says we need to leave alone. God never says in the Bible that occult practices don't work. He just says don't do them. Occult practices like what I think Simon was using here is like you say the right words with the right inflection, with the right tone of voice, and you are doing a magic spell hoping to tap into spiritual powers where something happens, I think that's the type of magic Simon was doing. And he was, he was doing it in such a way that he was impressing everyone, impressing everyone with his powers. So much so, in the, in the Samaritan Targum, the scriptures of Samaria, they would call the angel of the Lord, they would call representatives of God, the great power of God. They thought Simon was was so powerful he was connected with God. But when they encountered the truth of Scripture and they encountered Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ and they saw the signs Philip was doing, signs always point to Jesus, they said, we, we don't need what Simon's doing, we want what Philip has. Philip has Jesus, the Messiah. We need to trust that God's word, the good news of Jesus Christ is better news and more powerful than anything this world has to offer. Simon, he even saw what Philip was doing and decided, (laughs) that is something I don't have. I want what Philip is pointing to. I want you to notice that in this passage, when it says Philip was doing signs, Luke is key to point out it's signs. They are these powerful miracles that God was allowing Philip to do, making the lame walk, uh, bringing power, bringing miraculous signs. They're signs that point back to Jesus, the people of Samaria didn't start worshiping Philip. They didn't start saying Philip is the great power of God. They believed and were baptized into Jesus. This is good for us to know. Because anyone who claims to have power today and claims to be working in, under the power of the Holy Spirit, if they're doing signs and wonders or they're speaking some kind of foreign tongue that you don't understand and they're saying they're healing people, if they're not pointing people back to Jesus with that miraculous power they claim to have, then you better question whether they really have the power of God with them. If they're focusing on themselves and they're asking you to send money to them so that their jet can have fuel, you need to really question whether they're practicing the power of God or they're just trying to steal money from you. Because in the Scripture, the Holy Spirit always, always, always point people to jesus and people empowered by the holy spirit and doing miraculous signs they're signs they're called signs because they point people back to jesus and we need to trust that when we point people to jesus we spread the gospel we need to trust that the good news is better than anything else anyone else has or can have or can hear we need to trust the word of god it, God tells us this that we can trust Him in the prophet Isaiah once again, in chapter fifty-five. God says it this way: He said, "For as the rain and the snow came down from come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so my word, so my word, so my word, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth." it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter in which I sent it. God is making a promise that we can trust that his word is going to grow those seeds of faith that we have planted in water. His word is gonna grow faith in other people and the Holy Spirit is gonna use his word to change people. When I was growing up, one of my mentors who was teaching me to preach, he said, I always like to put a lot of scripture into my sermons. And that way I at least know that if I speak the words of God, the scripture, it's going to go out and not come back empty. In fact, sometimes God will speak through the scripture that is presented in spite of what the preacher says. Sometimes if as long as I'm teaching the word, as long as I trust that God is going to accomplish his purposes. We need to make sure we trust the word of God. And just as an aside, just as an aside, Philip was preaching the good news of Jesus, but he didn't stop with just believe in Jesus. He must have also been teaching them to be baptized into Jesus because it says they believed and were baptized. The Church of Christ, with a tribe of Christians that we say we belong to, is kind of known for for really being a stickler about the Bible. Where the Bible speaks, we speak. And where the Bible is silent, we are silent was a slogan of of the first Church of Christ people. And what that means is like, we wanna do things by Bible names and call things by Bible names. And the Bible tells you to do something, we're supposed to do it. The Bible disagrees and says, don't do it. We're not supposed to do it. But if the Bible's silent, we're supposed to use wisdom in that area. Maybe there's some freedom that God gives us. Another thing the Church of Christ is known for is that we teach to be baptized by immersion. This is what we see in the first century church. In fact, we're, we're kind of known for this in such a way that um, sometimes other tribes of Christians don't like us. There's a, there's a professor at Cedarville right now that if you were to bump into him and tell him you attended this church, he would say, oh, don't go to the Church of Christ where Dale McCamish preaches because he preaches a false gospel because he teaches people to be baptized. And what this professor will say is, that if someone believes, they just need to say a prayer and they're saved. Well, I think the sinner's prayer is a beautiful prayer. You know, in the sinner's prayer, that um, a lot of tribes of Christians preach. They say, if you believe in God, just say this prayer. And in the sinner's prayer, there's there's a confession of faith. I believe in Jesus. And there is a call to repentance. They they acknowledge I'm a sinner. And they say, I want to change from my old way. And I want to start following Jesus. And that is a beautiful prayer. In fact, in the scripture, it says in Romans chapter 10, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And that's wrapped in the sinner's prayer. But nowhere in Acts... Is anyone saved where they're not also baptized? In fact, I have a chart I'd like to show you. This chart, there are 11 conversion stories in Acts. In 10 out of 11, it is clearly put forth that somebody teaches Jesus. 10 out of 11 times. In that 11th time where it's not, it's implied they teach Jesus. And there's this process that happens in the scripture where somebody teaches Jesus and people believe, they repent, they confess with their mouth, you know, that's what's on their heart, and they are baptized. And in these 11 conversion stories, there is the teaching of Christ, there is explicit, these people believed, or it's really implied, these people confess their faith, or it's implied, and these people repent, it's really out. they change their ways, or it's really implied. But ten out of eleven have that person being baptized. In the conversion stories of Acts, only sometimes does it spell out they believed explicitly. Only sometimes does it say they confess. Actually, only once it says only a couple. Once it says they actually confess with their mouth. And only three out of the eleven it clearly says they repented. You can't be saved without repenting. You can't be saved if you don't turn from your old life to take on the new life of Christ. It's just impossible. But only 3 out of the 11 explicitly state they repented. But 10 out of 11 explicitly say they were baptized. We can't miss this when we're giving the good news of Jesus Christ to somebody. We can't stop with just believe and you're fine. Because nowhere in scripture does it say just believe and you're fine. In fact, the only place it says just believe is in James. Where James says demons believe. Demons believe and they shudder because they're not saved. That's an aside. I have to point out, because the Samaritans, they hear the good news of Jesus, and they believe and are baptized. Simon hears the good news of Jesus, and it's so powerful to him. It's more powerful than his occult practices. He believes and is baptized. And then he starts following Philip everywhere he goes, watching and amazed at what Philip can do that Simon couldn't do. We have to spread the gospel, and we have to trust the gospel. But we need to spread it like the first century church was spreading it. And then there's something that will happen. The gospel will either unite us or divide us. The good news of Jesus unites and it divides. First, I want to show you where it unites. This is in Acts 8, 14 through 17. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen upon any of them they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the holy spirit luke is pointing this out to us because this is not the normal pattern luke wants us to be aware the holy spirit had not yet fallen on them and he wants us to recognize as we're reading this whoa something is off here the normal pattern is what peter stated in acts chapter 2 repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and all who are far away. Luke wants us to notice the Holy Spirit didn't come when they were baptized. There's something off here. And why does Luke want us to see this? There are some tribes of Christianity who have developed whole systems of theology from this one little verse where Peter and John laid their hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. One, one tribe of Christians says, well, that's the second baptism by the Holy Spirit, which you have to partake in, where you receive the Holy Spirit because somebody put their hands on you. Now, I, I'm going to tell you where I, I think that's probably not accurate. There's another tribe of Christians, including us, who say, see, the signs of the Holy Spirit were only given by the apostles' hands, laying their hands on them. It's right here in the Scripture. I don't think that's what this passage is teaching. What this passage is teaching is, Peter, John, your apostles, you're Jewish, you need to accept the Samaritans into the kingdom too. See, God was withholding long enough, just long enough, so that Peter would know Samaritans could be included in the gospel. Peter wasn't going to go to the Samaritans. He was Jewish. Remember what he thought about Samaritans? When the church was scattered, what did the apostles do? They stayed in Jerusalem with the other Jewish believers. It was only after that they believed and baptized, they came down and they said, Oh, God's gospel is for every nation. It's for the Samaritans too. And for God to prove it to him, he had the Holy Spirit come down as prayer. And, And Peter and John, they said, Oh, they're supposed to be included. It's the same thing that happens in chapter 10 with Cornelius, the Gentile. Gentiles were not included in the kingdom of God. And Peter told Cornelius, he said, you know, a good Jewish person isn't even allowed to enter into a Gentile's house because we get dirty if we enter into your house. And he went in and the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius. And Peter said, of course they can be included. They need to be baptized too. And it was, Luke is pointing out there's a unique situation here. The Holy Spirit falls on them before they're baptized because he's trying to teach Peter that they can be included in the kingdom. See, Jesus is supposed to unite us. The good news of Jesus is supposed to bring us together. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter four, he says, There's one body. We're a local congregation that belongs to the one body of Jesus Christ. Every Christian that lives in Wilmington belongs to the one body of Jesus Christ, even if they go to a different congregation to worship. Every Christian in the state of Ohio belongs to the one body of Jesus Christ, even if they don't call themselves Church of Christ. Every Christian in the United States belongs to the one body. You see where this is going? Every Christian in the entire world belongs to the one body of Jesus Christ. Every Christian that has ever lived and every Christian that will ever live belongs to the one body of Jesus Christ. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father Who is over all and in all. That's where we get only one baptism, not a second baptism. Paul says there's only one of them. This is why Luke points out that it's weird they didn't receive the Holy Spirit when they were baptized. And it's weird that Cornelius received the Holy Spirit before he was baptized. The Holy Spirit can do that kind of thing to wake us up and shake us and say, go spread the gospel and trust the gospel. It's for everyone. And it's supposed to unite us. This passage from Paul here, there's one body and one spirit. He's calling the church of God, every Christian believer, to unite as one body. That reminds me of one of my favorite preacher jokes. You can put any denomination in here you want, but I'll use Church of Christ since we're sitting here. Person dies and goes up to heaven. And he meets Peter at the pearly gates. Peter starts showing him around heaven and they're all together as one body of Christ, worshiping the Lord Jesus. Every Christian that's ever lived is worshiping the Lord Jesus. And then Peter goes on and shows him the golf course and the buffet lines. That's how I envisioned heaven. And then, and then all oh, way off in the corner, he sees a little building way that Peter hasn't shown him. And the guy says, hey, Peter, what's that building down there? He said, oh, that's the church of Christ. They don't think anybody else is up here yet. You can do that with any denomination. The denominations divide, but we are united under one God. We're united by the name of Jesus Christ. And it's the same God that was around in Acts chapter 8. It's the same God that was around in Isaiah uh, 720 BC. It's the same God that when Israel was destroyed. It's the same God. One God, one Father over all and in all. One faith, one Lord, one baptism. That's supposed to unite us. And we need to trust that when we teach the word of God, when we say the word of God, it will go out and not come back empty. It will accomplish what God's goals are in it. We don't need to be scared about it. We just need to hold out the truth as many times as possible as we can. Last Tuesday, we had a pastor prayer meeting. And um, we, we meet weekly. We used to meet on Wednesdays. Now we meet on Tuesdays because we're teaching release time, Bible education to eighth graders. we meet on Tuesday and we pray about our community. We pray about our families. We pray about our churches and their pastors from every denomination. And we had a new pastor show up this past Tuesday. His, his name is Sean Powers and he showed up. We invited him to come pray with us. He's kind of new to the area. And so we all get together. We start praying and, um, We pray for our church, we pray for our community, we pray for our family. And it comes around, Sean's turn to pray. And all he does is he says, this reminds me of scripture. And he just quotes scripture as his prayer. And then we kind of go around, kind of different people are praying again. It comes back around to Sean and he quotes scripture as his prayer. He just says, this reminds me of the passage of scripture. And he says the scripture and he just quotes it out, out there. And we're all thinking, who's this holy roller with us? But wouldn't it be great if like every word out of our mouth was Scripture? Wouldn't it be incredible that we just spoke encouraging Scripture words to one another with hymns and songs all to build up the body of Christ? Wouldn't it be incredible if we were so embedded in the Scripture that it just came out of our mouths because that was the only thing we're thinking of? John Bunyan, years ago, said that if you cut him, he would bleed Scripture. And Sean Powers, associate minister from a church, not really in Wilmington, just outside of Wilmington, he, he was just speaking Scripture as he prayed. You know, because he trusts the Word of God will go out and not come back empty. He trusts that it will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. And that Word of God is supposed to unite us together, one God One faith, one Lord, one baptism. We're supposed to be united. God was using that that thing that's weird in there to unite the church. He said the Samaritans have to be united with the church because it's only one body of Christ. Remember what Jesus told Peter in Matthew chapter 16? He said, Peter, you are the rock and upon this rock I'm going to build my church Peter's like, yeah, and Jesus is like, the gates of hell won't be able to stand against our church. Peter's like, yeah, I can just see Peter doing that. I don't know if he did that or not. And then Jesus says this weird phrase. He says, Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He was telling Peter... You have the keys to open the door for the Samaritans to be involved, those people you don't like very much, the Gentiles to be involved. You open the door. And that's exactly what Peter did. Peter went back after Cornelius and he told the other apostles, he told Jerusalem church, he said, the Gentiles can be included. They should be included. Remember, God is for all nations. And this happened with the Samaritans. The Holy Spirit came upon them and and Peter's like, oh yeah, the the Samaritans can be included. And now this passage ends with Peter and John going to preach in other areas of Samaria. Why hadn't they been preaching in Samaria before? Jesus told them, you're gonna be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea and all of Samaria and all the ends of the earth. But they hadn't left to go to Samaria yet. It was only after the Holy Spirit showed them they can be included. The Holy Spirit, the scripture, Jesus, is supposed to unite us. But it will divide us too. Verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Notice Simon didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. He asked for the ability to give the Holy Spirit away. Peter said to him, kind of like, you, you can take your money and go to you know where, is kind of what It says, uh, the, the, the pleasant way say says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right with God. That's the same kind of phrase that Jesus used with Peter. Remember Jesus in the upper room? He was washing the disciples' feet. He came to Peter. He said, I need to wash your feet. And Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord. That's for slaves. You can't do it. I'm not going to put you. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. This is the same phrasing that Peter says to Simon, your heart is not right with God. You're not gonna have any part of this. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord, pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Gall of bitterness and bondage of iniquity is kind of like the Old Testament way of saying you are worshiping idols, you're selfish, you're only concerned about yourself and you're gonna, that's gonna kill you. That's a path of destruction. It's a path that leads to death. Remember Simon, he used to be the big deal in Samaria. People used to come to him and say he was the great power. Now here's his chance. He can have the old life back. But Jesus says when we come to him, we have to leave our old life behind. Jesus said, you have to be willing if I command you to sell everything you own and come follow me. He doesn't command that to everybody, but he commands that to some. Jesus says, you have to love me more than you even love your families. Jesus says, if you want to gain life, you have to lose your life. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Count the cost of being a disciple. Because it takes everything that you are. And you give it all to Jesus. Simon here in this passage, he hadn't given everything to Jesus he was still kind of holding on to that old life. He, he said, man, I could just get back to that old way. I'm going to have back surgery on Friday. And the same conditions that are on me, one of our elders had to have several months ago. One of our elders, Jeff, Wall, he, he, Jeff Walls, he had back surgery several months ago. And I remember him and the elder's. In the elder's room, and he was explaining what was going to happen. He said, You know, for two months, this is what Jeff Walls was saying then. He said, For two months, I'm not allowed to bend, lift, or twist, and I can't pick up anything over five pounds. And I remember thinking, How could you ever survive that way? How could you do it? And you know what the doctor told me that's going to happen after I have surgery Friday? He said, For two months, you're not supposed to bend, lift, or twist, and you're not allowed to pick up anything over five pounds. So I texted Jeff. I said, Jeff, how, how did you even do this? How can anybody survive that way? How did you make it? And Jeff, one of our elders, he texted me back. He said, Dale, you need to use this time wisely and for the Lord It's not a vacation, you're not on unemployment, but you are not gonna be able to do some things that you are used to doing. And you need to focus on the things you can do. You need to be more in prayer, more in meditation with God, more in scripture, because God has given you this opportunity to draw closer to him. And I said, shut up, Jeff. (laughs) Isn't that great advice though? But I want my old way of life. I want to do the things I used to do. I don't, want to, I don't want to follow the instructions. I don't want to be confined. I don't want to, I want, this is what Simon was doing. Right? This is exactly what Simon was saying. Yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but I want my old way too. And Jeff has given me good advice. This is a perfect opportunity for me to grow closer to Christ. But I need to repent Of the sin of wanting my old life and embrace the life Jesus has given to me. Do I trust God enough to do that? When Jesus calls us, He calls us to put to death our old life and take up His new life, which is a life of slavery and sacrifice to our Master and King, Jesus Christ. And every time I'm encountered with that, I realize that I have failed. I haven't spread the gospel enough. I haven't trusted the word enough. I've wanted wanted to hang on and cling to my old life. And you know what Jesus tells us to do when we do that? He says, turn to me for forgiveness. We have in our possession, if you were able to grab it, communion from our door. We have these communion packets. This is the time we're supposed to remember and turn to Jesus and remember the forgiveness he's given us where we have failed to turn to him and obey. This is a time of remembering, we were supposed to remember that Jesus Christ, he covered over our failures, our sins, our rebellion with his sacrifice on the cross. Would you take the bread out? And would you examine your own heart? Have you spread the gospel like the first church did? Is the word of God on your tongue ready to speak because you trust that it's going to go out and not come back empty? Or have you not quite lived up to that calling? Well, every time I examine myself, I recognize I need Jesus's sacrifice to cover over where I have failed. And I remember his sin went into the, my sin went to his body. And your sin went into his body and God punished that sin in Jesus so that we don't receive the punishment. Would you remember that and participate in the bread? Jesus, we are united now in our attention, giving our attention to you and remembering what you accomplished on the cross. And we thank you We thank you for receiving the punishment for our sins so that we can be declared not guilty. So that we could receive your righteousness in its place. We thank you for this memorial. Would you take out your cup? Would you remember that Jesus' blood was shed for you, poured out for you, and it covers over all your sins? Would you remember this is the cup of the new covenant poured out in Jesus' blood, where it enables us to be in the family of God because of Jesus' righteousness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31 says, Jesus is our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. He, we have to remember him. Would you remember what he did for you as you participate in the cup? God, we praise you and thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins and in our place. We praise you that the blood of Christ covers over our sin sickness and makes us healed. And you forgive our sin debt that we couldn't pay through your sacrifice. Lord, we praise you that Jesus was died and was buried and on the third day rose from the dead dead to promise us that we will have a resurrection too and that he is going to come back fully alive to get us and take us home. God, we thank you for this memorial service you call communion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, Be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining and we will see you back here next time.